been good, right? The Ezra, Nehemiah, so good. It has reminded me once again, again that this, that the word of God is awesome. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Right? The word of God has so much to offer us in our lives. Have you noticed that? Like, watch out if you don't want to be changed, right? Watch out because it will change your life. It will shape. It will influence. I've noticed that in my own life. It actually influences the words I speak. It influences the choices I make. It will change your life. Again, I don't know about you. My passion, like my greatest passion is to what? Be a follower of Jesus. And this is one of the greatest gifts, the gift of his word and the gift of his spirit. One of the greatest gifts to be able to help me and to help you be a follower of Jesus. So get into the Word of God. Today we're in chapter 7, 8, and 9 of Nehemiah. I'm not doing a recap of where we've been in Ezra and Nehemiah. We got a podcast for that, so subscribe to the LifeSpring podcast. Listen to the, all those sermons. We have an incredible teaching team here that have really done a good job of walking through those uh, chapters and through those books. But I will tell you this. Chapter 7, Buckle up. This is going to be good because we're at this point in the in the in the story arc. We're at a place where these people, they had gone to exile in Babylon, but now they've returned to Jerusalem and they're rebuilding. And that's what we've covered. They're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the walls. They're rebuilding the gates. They're rebuilding their homes, their towns, their their cities. But then look at this. Chapter seven, verse one. After the wall had been rebuilt. This is Nehemiah talking. He said, I had set the doors in place. The gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. But then verse 4, he says, the city, it's large and spacious, so that's amazing. But there's an issue, right? He says there are very few people in the city, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So he goes into a pretty long census list. It's the census list of those who have returned. It's the same list that you read, actually, in Ezra chapter 2. But these people who had returned from exile, they now repopulate the city of Jerusalem. Look at this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people, say all the people, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. So the temple's rebuilt, the gates, the walls are rebuilt, the towns are settled in, and now all the people gather. Isn't it interesting, like sometimes just randomly when you're reading something or watching something, a memory from a long, long, long time ago pops up? You ever have that happen? So I I read that all the people gathered, and I thought of two events. Uh, One, I was thinking about a Billy Graham crusade back in the 80s. And then I was thinking about anyone else at Promise Keepers that was at the kingdom. Remember that? Oh, my goodness. How awesome was that? But here they are. They're they're gathered, all the people. And then Ezra, look at this. Ezra, the teacher of the law. What does he do? He brings out the book of the law of Moses. Now, when you read book, they didn't have books like this. It didn't look like this, but it's a scroll. So they bring out the scrolls which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now look at this. Nehemiah 8 verse 3. (laughs) Ezra read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people, there it is again, All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Daybreak till noon. That's like six hours, church. 
I mean, I, I get it. Like, I might even go a little long today, and you get past the hour and a half mark at church. Like, you just kind of get a little squirmy, and Ranchitos is calling your name, and six hours. Six hours. Now, I, I got to be honest. I, I laughed out loud when I read this because I'm not calling anybody out here. I, maybe I'm calling all of us out. But I remember the grumbling that happened a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Jesse read, remember, word for word, all three chapters of Nehemiah. Do you remember that day? Like, you don't have to admit this, but you got a little squirmy, didn't you? Like a little antsy. Maybe a little bored. Again, I'm not going to call names here. But it was a challenge for some of us, wasn't it? And yet Ezra's reading from daybreak till noon. Just for fun, I went back to your sermon, Pastor Jesse. I went to your podcast. I timed it. Do you you guys know how long it took to read those three chapters? Any guesses? Four minutes? Fifteen? Twenty? Thirty? Ten minutes and fifty-nine seconds. Ten minutes six hours. We were there for eleven minutes. Wow. But how do they respond? It says all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Isn't that incredible? I, I want to make that point to, to hopefully challenge us a little bit. Can we just be honest? In our culture and the rhythms of our life, even 11 minutes is kind of squirmy and antsy. But to challenge us, we can go way deeper, church, in our love for the word and, and the time that we spend in the word of God. Now, the Bible tells us Ezra stood on a platform, a wooden platform. The Bible says that they built this platform specifically for this occasion, so that's pretty amazing. They want to make sure everyone can see him. We're also told that there's Levites on his left, Levites on his right. So it's quite the scene. But then look, Ezra opens the book. Verse 5, if you can put verse 5 up on the screen. Ezra opens the book, and as he opens up the book, what happens? Yeah. Isn't that incredible? All the people stand up. Really powerful. Really powerful. Again, they have come from exile. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the gates and the walls. They move in. They settle in the towns. And they're like, okay, what do we do first? You know what we're going to do first? We're going to read the word. We're going to read the word. I mean, what a moment. And again, there's this platform that's built so that everyone can see Ezra. And he opens the scroll. And all the people stand up. The Bible says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands. They responded, amen. Amen. They bowed down. They worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. The Levites, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. So we don't know exactly how this went down, but do you see that verse? So now the Levites are, the people are standing and the Levites are now instructing these people. And it says, verse 8, they read, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Isn't that interesting? It's like a Bible study almost, right? Ezra's reading, but then now the Levites are coming in and they're teaching kind of what we're doing today. You're hearing the word, but now they're teaching and and making it clear, giving understanding. And then verse 9, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites who were instructing the people, they said to all of them, they said, this day is holy. It's holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why does he say do not mourn? Or weep. Well, the very next sentence. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So on this day when all these people had gathered, all the people, gathering for hours, hearing the words of the law out loud, what is their response? 
It's mourning. It's weeping. Now, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Even as you consider what we've covered the last several weeks, why did they have to go into exile in the first place? They went into exile because of their disobedience, their rebellion, their hard hearts. And even as they're returning, as we keep on reading, things still aren't that great. They're in a tough spot. But they read, and they read out loud, and and they're beginning to understand. Do you see this? There's an understanding of how and why we're in the position that we're in. And it's through their choices, but it's also through the choices of their ancestors. And so they're hearing the words of the law out loud. They're discovering how far they have fallen short. And again, what's the response? There's just mourning and weeping and grief. Mourning and weeping and grief. And yet Nehemiah says, what does he say? He says, don't mourn. Don't weep. In fact, verse 10, he says, this is what I want you to do. Go and enjoy choice food. Go and enjoy sweet drinks. In fact, send some to those who have nothing prepared. Do you know why? Because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Say that one with me. You know it, right? Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people. Again, the people are weeping and mourning. There's like physical response, and the Levites, they're calming all the people, saying, no, 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 be still, be still, because this day is a holy day. Do not grieve. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Just do not grieve. Do not grieve, because this day Is a holy day. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And again, that's a very popular verse. I love that verse, but don't you kind of love it even more now that it's in context? Anybody else? Isn't it good to read that in context? I love hearing that. If you go through, I looked at all the translations, almost every translation, that Hebrew word, they translate as strength. But a more appropriate translation would actually be the idea of refuge. That the joy of the Lord is their refuge. Strength kind of gets to that a little bit. But hear me out, Life Spring. The joy of the Lord is your refuge. It's hard with phrases like that that are so popular. We kind of just are like, oh, yeah, I know that one. But church, did you hear what I said? God's joy. Like his joy is your Refuge is your strength. Now, this is going to be huge for these people because they've just come back from exile. They're reading the law out loud. It is exposing like a lot. It's exposing these places of compromise. It's exposing these places of failure. And again, the response, a very appropriate response is weeping and grief and repentance. And again, you can understand that that is appropriate to respond in repentance and in grief. And yet Nehemiah says, don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Why would Nehemiah say that? See, I believe Nehemiah would be saying something along those lines because he wants to remind them. This is so important. Please track with me at all if you can. This is so important. He wants to remind them that even after they and their ancestors have failed, even after they and their ancestors have fallen short, that as they have returned to the Lord, his posture toward them is joy. It's very important that we understand this. It's like, yeah, you know, you have done some terrible things. And yes, a perfectly just God demands justice for sins. 
In fact, you see that justice played out through and in the exile, right? There, there's, there it is. And yet at the core of who he is, some of you need to hear this this morning. At the core of who he is, he delights over you with joy. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that for your life? Do you believe that? That's a struggle for a lot of us. That's a journey for a lot of us. Do I actually believe that at God's core, that his attitude toward me is joy? Do I believe that? Zephaniah 3.17, you've heard this one before. This is actually spoken to a people before they go into exile. The Lord your God is in your midst, the victorious warrior. He will what? He will rejoice over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. That's a great line. It's saying he won't loudly rebuke you. You know how he's going to be loud? It's the very next line. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. I love what Tim Mackey says about all this. He says, while God will bring justice to be true to his character, his ultimate covenant purpose is to forgive and to rejoice over his people when they return to him. I want to say that again. While God will bring justice to be true to his character, God is perfectly just. You see that on the cross, right? The perfect justice and mercy of God. But his ultimate covenant purpose is to forgive. And to rejoice over his people when they return to him. If Mike Perry is here today, Mike Perry wrote this in our daily reading plan this week from Joel chapter 2. Rend your heart, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So here they are returning to God, listening to his word. And God says, don't mourn, don't weep. My attitude, my thoughts, my posture toward you is joy. Take your strength. Take your joy. Or take your refuge in my joy. Again, some of you need to hear that today. That's how the Lord feels about you. Return to the Lord. And I'll also say this. As you turn to the Lord, as much as it feels like maybe you're running to him, like we read in the prodigal son story Thursday night. We just read this Thursday night in our study But as you turn to the Lord out of his delight, his love, his joy, what does he do? He comes running to you. He comes running to you, even throwing a party full of joy as you return. Return to the Lord, church. As you continue through chapter 8, Ezra reads the words of the law again. There's a lot of reading of the Bible here, church. (laughs) This is awesome. They find in the law... That the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters, this feast of tabernacles. And so they tell the people about this, and all the people go out and do it. They bring branches, they build temporary shelters, everybody does it. And I've talked about this in previous sermons. They're rebuilding and reestablishing the rhythms and the rituals of what it means to be a follower of God. But then this verse really caught my eye. If you can put it on the screen, chapter 8, verse 17. Look at this. It says, from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. I want to say that again. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated, not celebrated this festival like this. And then what does it say right after that? And their, their joy was very great. The time between Joshua and Nehemiah, church, that's like a thousand years. Woo! Woo! Now, of course, they had celebrated this festival in those 1,000 years. They had celebrated before, but he's making a point, isn't he? He's making a point. 
that these people are coming back to God with a passion, with a fervor, with a dedication that no matter, come on, this is so good, no matter what following God has looked like to those around them, no matter what following God had looked like for their parents or their grandparents or their grandparents, grandparents, that they are coming with such a dedication. Even if they haven't seen this for the last a thousand years, this is a fresh and new dedication and commitment to follow the Lord. And what their joy is very great. Very great. It's important for us to read that. I was thinking about it this week. It's so important for me to read that, especially in the culture in which I'm living. Because the culture in which I'm living, it seems to be that you can kind of do whatever you want to do. I, I literally heard a celebrity say it this week, that we're just living our own truth. Have you heard that phrase before? Just live your own truth. That's not working, people. <laughs> I mean, go back to the garden. That's the idea, right? When Adam and Eve, what did they do? They tried to define good and bad for themselves. They were like, you know what? We're not going to submit to God's version of truth and what God says is right and wrong. Actually, we're going to define it for ourselves. Read the Bible. The Bible from the beginning through all these pages is people again and again and again trying to live out their own truth. And it does not work. In fact, not only does it not work, it always, and I'll say this, always, always, always leads to death and destruction. And yet, have you noticed how the devil and the world keep selling the lie and people keep buying the lie? Live your own truth and do what makes you happy. Even as Christians, it's so sad. I've done this. You've done that. We have bought into that lie. And yet, life spring, no matter what anybody else is doing or has done for the last 1,000 years. I mean, what were they even doing in 1023? But whatever they were doing, I just said, just let it go. May you passionately follow and serve the Lord. Right? Like, I'm not just going to live my own truth. I'm not going to do just what, you know, what feels right. You know, this, this just feels right. Or this makes me, no way. I am serving the Lord. Not my will be done, but yours. Right? I'm not going to follow my way. I'm going to follow the way, the truth, the life. I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Some of you just need to say that out loud. I'm following Jesus. Say it again. I'm following Jesus. Right? I'm following even when it's not what I want or even if it's not what my culture is telling me is going to make me happy. By the way, that version of happiness is so fleeting. Again, we've all tried. It's temporary. It might satisfy in the moment, but it's going to leave you emptier than ever before. Again, look around you. Living your own truth. It isn't causing anybody to be filled with great joy. It's a chaotic, dark mess. But I want joy. And he said in his presence is the fullness of joy. I want joy. Everlasting, exceedingly great joy. So I'm going to follow, obey, and celebrate the Lord. Now, are you going to be perfect in that? No, you're not. And if you think you are, just ask your spouse. They'll, they'll let you know. You're not. You're not. You're not. But let this be a non-negotiable. You know what I'm talking about with a non-negotiable? 
Let this be a non-negotiable that even when you mess up, even when you fall short, that you're going to be quick to repent, quick to repent, quick to turn and return to the Lord. And this really does have to be a commitment, doesn't it? Like a daily commitment. Because have you noticed the messaging that you're receiving every day on this little thing? Anybody? We like to think that we're in control, but I can guarantee you, you're probably not these days. Because even while I've been preaching, how many times have you pulled this out of your pocket already? It is reshaping our brains. It is reforming, rewiring our minds. It is shaping and controlling our lives in ways that many of us don't want to admit. But what if the Lord is telling you something that maybe isn't in alignment with the celebrity on TikTok? What if the Lord is telling you a truth that maybe isn't in alignment with the influencer on Instagram? But maybe he's telling you something that is in alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't mess around with this. I'm so glad you came today. This is a good day to be at church. Because you can hear the Lord out of his love for you say this is not a game. This is not a game. Do not mess around with this. Nothing compares to walking out the word of the Lord. Make that commitment every day. Right? I, I have to make that commitment every day. People are like, man, you just read the Bible every day. Aren't you so legalistic? And No, no. I read the Bible every day because I need to make a fresh commitment every day to do what the Lord is asking me to do and not just what I want to do. And I don't care if anybody or everybody or nobody is doing it around you. Like, this isn't about the people around you. This is about you. The Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to fill you with his great joy. Again, how did it happen for these people returning from exile? It happened as they read the word of God. It is the only way. The beginning of Psalm says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. Look at this promise. Read this promise with me, church. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Amen. Amen. Meditate on the word of God day and night. Again, your friends aren't doing it. Your family probably isn't doing it. Your coworkers aren't doing it. But come on, consider what Jesus has done for you. Because Jesus didn't like just take you out of exile in Babylon. He took you from death to life. Have we forgotten what Jesus has done for us? He brought us from spiritual death into abundant life with him. So listen to his spirit and listen to his word and follow hard after God and church. Be filled with joy. Be filled with joy. But I know I'm talking to uh, a wide range of people in this audience. I know even online that uh, I don't know particularly or specifically where you're at in your journey. And maybe you came in today and, and you're actually feeling pretty far from God. Like really far from God. You're, you're, you're having questions about is there even a God. If you could at all hear my heart that the Lord loves you, he's for you, and he has made a way through his son Jesus for you to return to him. And though you still might have questions, though you still might have doubts, though you still might, you know, be on a journey. We're all on a journey, by the way. I think there does need to be a moment in life where you say, you know what, I still have questions, but I'm going to choose to believe. I'm going to choose to put my faith and trust in Jesus, that Jesus died for my sins, 
forgave me of my sins, saved me from my sins, and made a way for me to live with my maker, with God Almighty, forever and ever. And some of you, I just want to encourage you in that. Maybe you're even coming off the worst week of your life. I mean, maybe it is a mess. Like, we're not talking 10 mistakes, 100 mistakes. We're like 1,000 mistakes. Hear me out. By his amazing grace and his unfailing love, his call remains the same for you right now. If you hear my voice, the Lord's call on your life is the same. He says, return to me. Return to me. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. He made a way for you to return to him through his son, Jesus. By the way, in a way that people of Nehemiah's time could have never, ever imagined. Jesus has done something truly incredible. Where we don't have to go to the presence of God. The presence of God goes and lives in us. So come to the Lord. And come in repentance. Don't come in pride. Don't come in arrogance. Rend your heart. Come with a contrite heart. This is serious. This isn't a game. Come to the Lord in repentance. And yet, I just feel like the Lord would say, and I love when, actually, I think it's in James where he says, kneel, and it says, and then the Lord will lift you up. But you come to the Lord in repentance, but then you let him speak over your life. And what does he say in Nehemiah? As you come to him with a brokenness, as you weep, as you mourn, as you grieve, he comes close to you. He comes close to you in his unfailing love. And he says, don't grieve. Let my joy be your strength. Come. I delight in you. I love you. I love you so much. I sent my son to die for you. I'm for you. Turn to me. Oh, you're going to love this. Because when you turn to me, I come running to you. I run to you. And I fill you with great joy. Great joy. Great joy. And then I'd say this, I think, to every one of us in this room, including myself. From that place of unfailing love and joy, I think the Lord also has a, just a challenge on our lives to say, and now do what I'm asking you to do. There's no greater joy, speaking of joy, than obeying the Lord. Do you believe that, church? There's no greater joy than doing what the Lord is asking you to do. I was just reading Ephesians this week, and I was like, this is so good. Remember Ephesians? He says, you are his handiwork. Like, you're his craftsmanship. But what does he say? Paul says, you were created to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. So it's not like you just trying to come up with a bunch of good works to try to get to God. Instead, it's like, no, like in this presence of God where there's shalom, perfect peace, and joy, and love, and just all the things of God. Well, now what? Oh, Dan, I got some things for you to do. I'm so excited for the good works that I prepared in advance for you to do. And it's not to get to me because you're already with me. Like you're with me forever and ever. But now get to work. Do what I've called you to do. And by the way, even if nobody has been doing it for the last 1,000 years. Oh, man. I mean, I love my ancestors, but I got to do some repenting for my ancestors as well. You know what I'm talking about? I'm grateful. But there's also places where they've missed the mark. 
That's going to be the same for my child. I love that Ava's here. I'm doing my best, but there's going to be ways that I've led her astray. And when she's older, she's going to be like, oh, God, would you just forgive my dad for all the ways he missed the mark. But I'm running hard after you. Delight in the Lord. Obey the Lord because he delights in you. Praise the Lord. Okay, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They are reading and reading and reading. All right, they celebrated the festival seven days. On the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So they gathered together. Chapter 9. This is quite the scene. The Israelites are gathering together. They're fasting. They're wearing sackcloth. Can you imagine what this would look like? They're putting dust on their heads. They confess their sins. And the Bible says not only do they confess their sins, but they confess the sins of their ancestors. Again, the older I'm getting, in the faith, the more I realize that's very appropriate to do. I, I actually was pretty weak in that area. I think I'm growing in this. And again, it's an honest, humble repentance and a confession of sins. And it's the sins that I have committed, but also the sins that my community has submitted, the sins that my ancestors have committed. Again, it's individual, but also corporate confession. Can we grow in that church? Corporate confession. So healthy, so Appropriate. So this is what they do. And they stood there and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. They spent another quarter of the day in confession. I mean, I thought I was good after a sentence. But here they are, a quarter of the day in confession, worshiping the Lord their God. And then they go into this amazing prayer to God. I don't have time to read this whole prayer. Hopefully some of you did this reading before you got here. But... I will go through some of the highlights, but what they do in this prayer is they're recapping, they're retelling their story with God. And it's quite the retelling, because by the time they're going to be done with this prayer, God is going to look really, really good. And they're, like, humanity is going to look like we're struggling. And I think that's very appropriate for us to hear today, to have a high view of God, high view of who he is that we would actually feel like we need him. So here we go. They go through Abraham. They go through Moses. They talk about God's willingness to meet with his people. They talk about how God fed the manna from heaven. They talk about how uh, he gave them water from the rock. He, He talks about how he provided them a land, an inheritance for them to dwell in. But then they start talking about how the ancestors were arrogant, stiff necked. I mean, they do not hold back. Arrogant, stiff-necked, disobedient, failing to remember what God had done. But look at verse 17. But you are a forgiving God. Hallelujah. You are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Aren't you thankful for that? Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. But because of your great compassion, look at this, verse 19, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By the pillar of cloud, you did not fail to guide them. Verse 20, you did not withhold your manna from them. Verse 21, you did not, uh, they did not lack. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not become swollen then they go on to talk about how their ancestors oh here it is again ancestors were disobedient they rebelled against you they turned their backs on you they killed your prophets so look at verse 27 so you delivered them into the hands of their enemies you oppressed them but when they were oppressed they cried out to you and from heaven you heard them and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hands of their 
enemies. But verse 28, 28, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Have you been there before, church, where you cried out to the Lord? The Lord rescued you. He delivered you. And as soon as you were at rest, do you remember? You went right back to the dog's vomit. You did what was evil. But Lord, you, or, or they did what was evil in your sight. But then you abandoned them into the hand of their enemies and so that they ruled over them. But when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them. How many times, church? Time after time after time after time. Verse 29, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But, uh uh-oh, here it goes again. Broken record, they became arrogant, disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you. They became stiff-necked. They refused to listen. Verse 30, for many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, and yet they paid no attention. So you gave them once again into the hands of the neighboring peoples. We've read that now three times. But in your great mercy... See, you did not put an end to them. Praise the Lord. You did not abandon them. For what? You are a gracious and merciful God. Verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of, God, of love. And we just read about that. Praise the Lord for that. He keeps his covenant of love. He says, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us. The hardship that has come on our kings, our leaders, our priests, our prophets, on our ancestors, and all your people. From the days of the kings of Assyria until today. Verse 33. In all that has happened to us, this is so important, church. You remained righteous. Say this with me, church. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, leaders, priests, ancestors, they did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands. Even while they were in your kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious, fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you. They did not turn from their evil ways. Verse 36, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other things it produces. But because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've placed over us. They rule our bodies. They rule our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. As you keep on reading, they make this binding agreement. They, they say that they'll serve the Lord Uh, We'll see how that goes in the next couple of weeks. But man, what a powerful prayer, right? But I'd say this, and this has been a really good week for me. Because I've fallen in love with Jesus all over again. Because you realize, even with all their passion and their zeal, what they need is a Savior. They need a Messiah. Because without a Messiah, the cycle is going to keep going and going and going and going. 
And you know it in your own life. You, you know how the cycle kept going and going. And you tried in your own efforts, right? You tried in your own, like, good works. To, I'm, I'm really going to break the cycle this time. I'm really going to do it this time. And yet you couldn't do it. And that's why I'm so thankful for Jesus. Because Jesus came into my life, and he really did change everything. I mean that, and I, I feel that. And, and non-Christians, they don't understand what I mean, and I, I'm made fun of. I get, I get all that. You, but you can mock me all you want, you see, because Jesus changed everything. Everything. I don't know if every Christian believes that about their life, but for my life, Jesus changed everything. He broke the cycle. And sure, as a Christian, I still have struggles. You still have struggles. We all still have struggles. By the way, newsflash, there's still times when you're going to turn your back on God. But what I love about being a Christian is that at the core of who I am, come on, this is what Jesus has done. At the core, like if you dug down deep, if you took the knife and you went to the depths of who I am, at the core of who I am, I have been made new. Like Jesus has done a work in me. I have been made holy. Not because because of anything I've done, but because of what he has done. I have been radically saved and changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Like, you got to believe that. If you're a Christian here today, stop believing the lies of the enemy. And stop believing the lies of the person you're listening to on YouTube that's just trying to make you afraid. No, you listen to the truth of the Word of God. If you have Jesus in your life, at the core of who you are is no longer rebellion. That rebellion is over. Or did he lie when he said on that cross, it is finished? Is Jesus a liar or has he done what he said he was going to do, which was to break you free from the, what? From the slavery to sin and death. Remember what Jesus has done. You are no longer in rebellion. You are no longer living in wickedness any longer. The core of who you are. Again, if I cut down to the depths of who you are, my dad, you know what I would see? I would see Jesus. Hallelujah, forever and ever and ever and ever. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's Jesus Christ, where he is all and is in all. That's what Jesus has done for you. And as much as they're retelling their story, you have a story to tell. Do you believe that? You have a story to tell of what Jesus has done. You have a story to tell of what Jesus has done. And as we walk through this service, and it's going to be a little longer, I, I'm going to go another, I, I don't know, five, ten minutes here. And worship team, you can come on up. But I want to give us that opportunity to return to the Lord. To be reminded of what you have in Jesus. That who you are in Jesus. But I also want to make this very clear. I believe there are people here that do not have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm so happy you came here today. You're in the perfect place. And I believe that your heavenly father stirred you up and wanted to draw you here, to bring you here, because he loves you and he's for you. And he delights over you with joy. His posture towards you is joy. And for many of us today, it's to return to the Lord. But for others of us, it's for the very first time to turn to God. To say, just done with the crazy cycle. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And my ways continue to lead to emptiness, to brokenness, 
to isolation, to discouragement. And I think I'm ready for great joy. And again, the only, only one who can truly fill us with great joy is the Lord. It's a joy that is found as we put our trust and our faith in Jesus. To say, God, I've fallen so far away. I've run a race that was so, so far from you. And yet I know that even though I tried to leave you, you never left me. And it's actually out of your love that you called me into this room today. And I hear in my heart that you're saying, turn to me, return to me. If every one of us, if you're online in, in the room, if you could just be sensitive right now to your, your state in life, right? Your, the condition that your heart is in, your mind is in, your body is in. And be very sensitive in this moment to what your father might be wanting to speak to you. Because I believe the Lord is wanting to remind all of us that his posture towards us is joy. And he has abundant life for us to live. Even wonderful, good works to do. But we must return to him.